This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis, and today we are continuing our series on To Be Continued, a new podcast that we have here on the Remnant Radio where we address uh, subjects specific to the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, Across the interweb here, I have Michael Roundtree there in the studios. I have Michael Miller there in the basement Denver, Colorado, uh, and I am here in my daughter's room because we have just a few more days of quarantine. Uh, I'm in the basement. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, the basement the, of Denver, bro. The, the Denver basement. So, I think my the question is: I mean, Denver. we're we're talking about healing, and how much authority do you really have to talk about this issue? I mean, considering you got the Rona, bro. Well, um, just as much authority as you have to tell people to repent of their sin. Um, oh! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good, dude. I commend you for that. So uh, today in our video, guys, we're going to be, ta- <laughs> we're gonna be talking. Michael, <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the five-step model that Wimber uh, gave in praying for the sick. We're talking about this this five-step model. Let, let's talk. Uh, if you guys would help me introduce this subject uh, and talking about what this is and what this is not um i don't want people to look at this as a replacement for the prescription of scripture that tells us when you pray for the sick you know have the the sick come forward have the elders pray the prayer of faith uh they will recover if they have sin haven't confessed it that kind of thing uh, and they'll be forgiven let's talk through some of this opening what is this model where did it come from uh what is this and what is it not uh i'll toss it over to you guys and now let me know what you think yeah, for sure. Totally, totally agree with you on the importance of we, we get real uh, cautious about the five step model or four thing, you know, four keys to a new life, three, you know, pivotal, I don't know, essentials about prosperity. This is not that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miller, I know that you have actually, you have some experience with some of like the development of the history of the, of John Wimber's five-step model that he used. Uh, why don't you talk through uh, that a little bit? Uh, I, I don't have anything, any history with the development. I, I wasn't, uh, I was sleeping around. I was probably, bo- I wasn't born yet when this stuff came out. Um, uh, no, I, I had a conversation with Blaine Cook uh, maybe about two and a half years ago. And I was just, I don't remember how it came up, but somewhere in the conversation, he mentioned how uh, he and Wimber had developed this model. He said that um, they started seeing the sick get healed and then they were praying for the sick. And the question came up over a lunch, you know, how do we, how do we teach others to do this? And so they just sat there and, um, and got one of the the beverage napkins from the table and began to write out what became known as the five-step model for healing. 
So it was never meant to be a formula as this is how it's done. It was meant to be a model that you can kind of use to ask the right questions and to be thinking the right way uh, about uh, what's happening when you're praying for the sick. So it was meant to be a flexible model where you're actually reliant upon the Holy Spirit to uh, pray for each person and treat them each as an individual. Yeah. You know, for me personally, it was really helpful because, you know, like when uh, when Jack Deere started at Wellspring uh, Church where uh, where I pastor, he was like, you know, he would talk about, you know, we want to train people in prophecy. We want to train them in how to pray for healing and so on. And I would. I went through the like the training and the theological foundation, everything for the prophetic ministry. And I could see that like, um, but when it came to training for how to pray for healing, I didn't really get that at first. I was like, well, you just pray, right? Like you just Lord, please heal that person. What else is there to it? And when you've been around healing ministry for a while, as it turns out, there can be a lot more to it. There's, questions like is there uh, an inner healing tied to this outer healing is there a demonic influence here and so on i don't want to get too far into the five-step model but uh but you can really see this uh, i mean there's i think an experiential component to this where it's like we just started to see certain thing or i think i know wimber you know he started to see some things and started to put that together but there's also a scriptural component uh and i don't know which which came first for him i don't know uh, miller do you know how how that came together I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, let's jump into it. Let's jump into it. People are somebody I think's making fun of me because of my lumberjack look. You know what? If I want to look like a lumberjack, I can look like a lumberjack. <laughs> actually, Michael dresses up for most of the remnant episodes. That's that's actually what he usually wears um, at home. His well, lumberjack outfit. I just. It's really cold here in Texas right now. We had a huge cold front come through and I literally despise cold. Like I actually have long johns on under my lumberjack shirt. So um, anyway, enough of that. So let's jump into the five step model. Who wants to um, uh, Josh, why don't you read off to us the list of the five, the five steps, and then we'll kind of walk through them one by one. Yeah, so we've got the interview is the first step. Uh, the uh, di- diagnosis is the second step. The prayer selection is step three. Uh, step four is the prayer engagement. And step five is post-prayer direction. Those are the five steps in the five-step model. Miller, are, are you playing dice over there? What's, what, are you, what are you doing uh, on sorry, that Sorry, I forgot to... Uh... I forgot to mute it when I was typing. <laughs> okay. Sorry, it just sounds Always. like you're rolling something he's, across the table. He's hey, you bought me this keyboard. I didn't do this. I know, it's I know. Not... I should have just left you without a keyboard. <laughs> okay. You, you did it first, don't you remember? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so let, let's talk about the interview. Interview sounds so formal. When I've taught my congregation, it, I, I, I just call it listen just listen to the person but it is it is kind of an interview but i did it's it's not an interrogation that's for sure um but um where, where this comes from is uh, you, you take like mark ten fifty one, where jesus says what do you want me to do for you he's he's talking to a blind man like what do you think he wants you to do right but like this is a human interaction <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, and it's like um, I I liken it a little bit to uh, well, you take like Matthew six where Jesus uh, where Jesus says your father knows what you need before you even ask him, but he still wants us to articulate it. And the way I kind of think about it is like when my kids were really little, uh, I would. Uh, I would teach them to use their words to ask for something so that instead of just like, eh, eh, which is what they wanted to do at first, part of becoming a mature human is you don't just look at things and grunt when you want them. <laughs> and I think part of being a mature friend of God is we articulate what is our need. And so listening uh, gives us a chance for that person to articulate what their need is before us and God. And it's also an opportunity to show empathy and uh, and compassion. Compassion is such a huge driver of healing mis- uh, ministry. So often we see, especially in Matthew's gospel, he seems to really emphasize this. Uh, he had compassion and he healed their sick. He had compassion and he healed their sick. And uh, I have found, and uh, you guys, I don't, I don't know if your experience has been the same, but I have found that sometimes healing ministry becomes this big thing about the show. It's like I was driving by a church one time and it was like signs and wonders here is what it said on the marquee. And I'm like, is is that really what it's about? Because I'm pretty sure it's about the love of Jesus being shown. It's it's not about getting people to come see the fireworks show. And I think when people come forward and you're listening, you're interviewing, it's it gives you an opportunity to make that human connection that's going to move into uh, the power of God, that side of things. So. Uh, any of you guys had something to add to that? Yeah, I think the interview is is um, a great place to start. Uh, you see several precedent for several examples where there's precedent for it in Scripture. Uh, one, when they find the boy who's uh, falling down in the fire and is probably blind and mute, um, the, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon that was causing this. So Jesus. Uh, comes into the situation and he asks the father, how long has the boy been like this? Um, I think there's a, a reason for why he's asking that question, because it also may give an indication as to why the boy is in this condition in the first place. Um, the person at the uh, pool of Bethesda, Jesus also starts asking him questions. He doesn't go straight into the encounter and begin healing. He, he begins with questions of, would you like to be made well? Um, I think that's important. Um, my experience has also shown me that some people don't always want to be made well. Um, I think I, I may have shared this before, but there was a woman in Denmark who uh, had major problems with her vision and pain with her neck. And at the end of the day, she didn't want to be made well because she was in sin. And to be made well meant walking away from a particular sin that had her infirmed and demonized to begin with. So. No, that was, uh, yeah. that's been my experience. We were in a, a youth group setting. There was a girl who'd been in and out of mental hospitals um, and asked us, you know, I hear voices. I think I have something demonic. Um, I'd like you guys to pray for me so that we could get rid of this. Um, and I asked her, like, are you willing? Because I knew there was a specific sin because I was close with her family that she um, would not give up. And she had every intention of continuing. Um, and, and I asked her, you have to give this up. And she said, I'm like, like, can I think about it? And I was like, yes, like, I, yes, you can think about this. Come back tomorrow and, and let me know, are you willing to repent of this? And she did just that. And she came back and she wasn't willing to repent. So we didn't administer deliverance for her um, because it wasn't something yeah. the Bible talks about, you know, 
seven more evil. Um, and I think that there's a, a, a biblical precedent to say, hey, uh, to ask to have that interview process that you're talking about. And, and we see this, I think, in in first Corinthians 14, where he, he speaks of tongues and he says that someone, he likens the tongue speech to a bugle. And he says, if they, if they play an indistinguishable sound on a bugle, like how do you know to like march to war? Like how can someone shout amen if they don't know what's being said? So like it, it's mm-hmm. actually talking about prayer in an agreement sort of way. And this investigation process in a sense is to, to know what is it that you want me to pray for? Um, if we just come together and gather and pray, um, we're praying as we're boxing in the air as it were, but by having agreement, there is a kind of unified power in that prayer, a, a synergy, mm. which is a very charismatic word, but it's a, it's a, it's an appropriate yeah. word for the subject. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and this is again, my perspective on, on it. I don't, again, I don't use the word interview when I'm training people. I use the word, listen. I, I, I think it communicates the empathy like I did before. It doesn't make it feel like an interrogation, but there's another reason too. And that is that whenever I am, interacting with a person over a healing issue, I'm listening on both on two different levels simultaneously. I'm listening on a natural level, but also a supernatural level. I'm listening to the person, but I'm also listening to the voice of God. And so you guys uh, just talked about like, hey, sometimes there's a deeper issue. Sometimes I'll, I'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit communicating to me what that deeper issue is so that I can engage uh, on that level. So for instance, I was, were you about to inter- interrupt Josh? Well, no, go, okay. go ahead. Oh, uh, I got some afterwards. I, okay, I just, sure. I just yelled across the hall to my kids to, to be quiet. I thought I muted my microphone. So if I'm screaming and y'all no, no, screaming. you're good. You're good. <laughs> okay. okay. So I, I'm listening on, uh, on two different levels simultaneously, natural and supernatural. So, uh, so when I say supernatural, uh, I, I'm trying to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is he speaking into this situation? And um, sometimes it'll be just an indicator and something the person said. And sometimes it'll be something that comes by way of more spiritual discernment. Um, I was uh, praying over a young woman, probably in her 20s. And, uh, and as I was... I was with a group of Christians who were praying for her, actually pastors from my church. And, uh, and as we were interacting with her before we even got to the prayer segment and she was telling us she had essentially endometriosis and, um, anyway, make a long story short. I, Michael, your keyboard, please stop, uh, to make a long story short. I just, uh, heard the Holy spirit say like two words. One was conflict and the other one was men. And, um, which is honestly like a really weird prophetic word. Like there's no socially like, like not awkward way to bring that up. You do have an example of Jesus. He, uh, and John four, where he has a awkward prophetic word to share, uh, Hey, go get your husband. Well, he's not your husband and neither are the last five, uh, you know, before him. So, uh, he, he finds a way to bring it, uh, to bring it up. And I found a way to politely ease into it. But I basically asked if there had been a conflict with a certain uh, male uh, figure. As it turned out, she'd had this huge breakup with uh, with a guy. Again, this is not just me one-on-one with a girl here. Uh, pastors were with me. Um, anyway, huge breakup with a guy. Unforgiveness was present. We prayed for her, walked her through a prayer of forgiveness. There were lots of tears. To make a long story short, uh, again, um, she was completely healed. We followed up with her months later and then months later again and then months later again. Uh, this went from 
totally debilitating every month to never experienced it ever again. And, uh, but it came with, from listening on two different levels, natural and supernatural simultaneously. So Josh, Michael, uh, now continue with your interruption that you were trying to, to go with earlier. <laughs> no, uh, oh, well, I, I, Oh, who's first? Go ahead. Go, go, go ahead, Miller. All right. Uh, so BJ mentioned that the guy at the temple gate, no interview is conducted. They just, uh, you know, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, right? Silver and gold have we none. Um, so that sometimes is presented as an argument that the five-step model shouldn't be conducted. And I, I don't think that's what BJ is saying, but I think it actually goes to show that not every healing is done the same way. This is why you have to approach each person as an individual rather than a model that's a sort of a catch-all. Um, mm-hmm. And we see this happen all throughout the scriptures. There are times when people are sovereignly healed in their seats. Nobody lays hands on them. Nobody prays for them. The spirit just moves. But then there's other times where, uh, you know, m- maybe God is wanting to use someone or the laying on of hands to bring about healing. And you see the same thing happen with like Jesus when it comes to healing a blind person. He doesn't seem to do it the same way twice. One time he spits in some dirt, makes mud, puts yep. it on the man's eyes. Another time he just says, eyes be open, apotha, right? And the eyes are suddenly opened. So um, I think that that's kind of the point is just because it happens one way in one text doesn't mean it'll work the same way every single time. Yeah. And, and just to go on the, the tail end of that, there's so many. I mean, the apostles, one guy is healing people with a shadow. Another guy is taking handkerchiefs and sending them to people and healing them. And other times Jesus is speaking from a distance and sends his word to heal. Um so again, over and over, there's so many different models and patterns in which healing is accomplished in the scriptures. Uh, if you go to the Old Testament, we've got even more. We've got a guy who dunks himself in the Jordan River to cleanse himself of leprosy. Um, I mean, we've got account after account of just being led by the Spirit in these things. So we, we would certainly say, hey, this model, if anything, these these five steps, the goal is actually to to lean and press in and to ask the holy spirit um what what would you have me do um so we wouldn't even say that this model is the authoritative model you should use at all times uh, it's to say that hey yeah, ask the holy spirit if you're not getting anything ask the person what's going on you know i mean if the person's walking up to you and you can assess this person's blind and the lord wants to heal them before they get anything out of their work, their mouth i mean just pray for them and see them get healed um, but if if they're they're coming to you you don't know what's going on you've got no sense from the lord uh, what they may need then you ask them why have you come for prayer right so like we're just we're, these are just uh guidelines not to be used as um pillars you must do these five things. And if you don't do these five things, you're not practicing healing. Uh, these are guides to help you lean on the Holy Spirit and ask people, treating them as humans, as persons. Um, again, but the, the the goal of this whole process is to trust in Christ, trust in Christ's power uh, for healing of the sick. So uh, yep. the, the one of you guys touched on this already, but. When somebody comes to you, uh, I mean, and this is a common thing, especially in churches that practice praying for the sick, is they'll see somebody with an obvious infirmity, and they assume that that person wants them to pray for that infirmity to go away, uh, whereas that's not always the case. Um, sometimes, you know, a person may be dealing with a entirely, or what may be presently a concern of theirs may be something entirely different than what seems obvious to the eye. Um, yeah. And so that's why you, you ask them, what would you like? You know, what is it that you're wanting right now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the whole thing is not 
it's not too much different from the fact that I'm training the other pastors in my church how to preach and teach. And so uh, there's certain kind of, I, I have a way in which uh, a sort of manner in which I go about that. And I train them in that. And I say, but you'll develop your own way and you don't have to do it my way, et cetera. But I still teach them that. And so we're teaching you a way that we find is helpful. But if you don't like it, do something different. <laughs> so, um, okay. So let's jump into... Step two. So we've got the interview slash listening time. Great opportunity to show empathy and compassion. Uh, second step is the diagnosis. Who wants to jump into uh, what the diagnosis is? I'll let, I'll let Miller jump in there. Okay, sure. Um, just just so jump in, Miller. Yeah, I'll <laughs> jump in as best as I can. Uh, so by diagnosis, we're just trying to determine the causation for this sickness. Um, sometimes sickness is just because we're born uh, in a, you know, born in a fallen world and there's no apparent reason for it. Um, you know, some people will say that, that uh, like the guy in John 9, that he was born that way just so God could display his glory. That's a, that's a bit problematic because the word that's translated so that can also be, be rendered but let. Like it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents, but let the work of God be displayed. Um, so I, I don't necessarily find a, a particular causation, but obviously God is using it for his own glory, right? Um, and then you've got other, so some causations can be natural, you know, like you've you had an accident, got a car accident, got a concussion, you fell off a ladder. Um, some causes could actually be sin in your life, right? Jesus says to the the man who was, I think, paralyzed, he says, Go and sin no more, lest something worse befall you. So it's, it's the implication is that somehow sin was related in how this person was infirmed. Um, and, I, and I've seen this on multiple occasions, specifically when it comes to bitterness and issues of the heart. Bitterness is a sin. Holding unforgiveness over somebody is something we're told not to do. We're told to forgive. Uh and I, I know, Michael, you've got some incidents of that or experiences with that as well. Um, not that you were yeah, better. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, forgiveness is like the biggest thing. I'll tell you, Agreed. when it comes to healing ministry, if, if there's a spiritual root of some kind of infirmity, a huge percentage of the time, forgiveness is the issue. People who forgive are more physically healthy. Bitterness is rottenness in the bones, as it says in the Proverbs. And uh, and so I would just encourage you, if you haven't forgiven anybody, so like even forget healing prayer for anyone else, like healing prayer for you and just your own physical and mental and emotional health, it's rooted in the spiritual health. I think the number one thing is forgiveness. If you walk in forgiveness, which is to not count that person's sin against them, uh, to not uh, to not demand that they pay you back, so to speak. Release the debt. Release them unto the Lord. Trust Him to be a righteous judge. And uh, and the way I know that I've forgiven in my heart is if I can bless that person sincerely in my heart. And if I can't bless that person without a sort of like ping in my spirit, like like the little cringe factor, then I've not really forgiven. Uh, and Matthew 20 is the greatest parable in the world to read through for forgiveness, but it's just a huge, huge factor. You're absolutely right, Michael. So like when you're, uh, one of the examples that we would have is like when we're, you're praying for someone and, um, they would say, Hey, I, I've been getting night terrors. 
right? So you go, oh, and one of the questions you would ask in this in this interview process would be, okay, when did those night terrors occur? Well, um, I guess they started two years ago. Okay, did anything happen two years ago? Um, was there anything that was happening around that time? I don't know. I can't think of anything. And then you can you can be, just begin to ask like. Um, did you have a breakup? Did you, you, know, you can ask those questions and, and then begin to see, is this tied to something, um, spiritual? Is this something tied to unforgiveness, a pattern of unforgiveness? Um, uh, I've seen Miller practice this, uh, with, um, with my wife who had migraines, um, and he, he identified something, um, through asking these kinds of questions and asked her, okay, let's, let's repent of this. Let's repent of this specific thing. And from that moment on, she hadn't had migraines. And it was just one of those quick identifiers. What was happening when you started getting these migraines? Is this tied to something? Um, let's talk about this. Let's repent. And again, this is that James 5 practice that we're, we're actually prescribed in scripture. Confess your sin mm-hmm. and you'll be better. But the thing is, is a lot of these things we are able to kind of justify or we're able to not identify these things as sin. Like there is a person in my life that I have unforgiveness towards. And I, I have asked God kind of flippantly, like, Lord, you know, bless them, Lord. I, you know, like, like Michael said, there might be a little prick in my heart and I can kind of justify, like, I'm, I'm right with God. Like I've forgiven him. I've moved on. And it's like this, this physical thing that we're weighted down with until we really get freedom from that. Um, and I think that there, there are areas in our life, like through these investigation processes where we can just ask people, What's going on and how long has that been there? Yeah. I think a concern uh, of mine. Go ahead. Okay. Well, sure. Uh, Rochelle Bates, uh, she says in the chat, she says, I'm stuck in this because aren't we always dealing with sin while in the body? And so uh, yeah. I think this is a really good point because um, when I read James 5, it's really particularly talking about unconfessed sin. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's right. And and I'll also uh, I'll say there's there's a scripture and that's the most important. But I'll also say experientially, I don't come across people who like, oops, they sinned, immediately repented and suddenly like an infirmity comes upon them. I'm sure that it happens sometimes. I mean, if somebody has like a one night stand and maybe they get an STD or something, there certainly can be that uh, that sort of situation. Situation. But um, I, I would say in the majority of situations, it's not, oops, I sinned. Now I have an infirmity. It's uh, it's generally James five unconfessed sin. And uh, and if it is a situation like the one night stand, like what I just described, I would still recommend that person go before another human being, confess that sin to another human being, because Honestly, I don't think confession just before God and not another person is enough. I think the biblical model, and we see it there in James 5, is we confess before another person. And uh, even in the scenario that I would just I just described, I would suggest uh, confessing that sin and asking somebody to pray for you uh, that you might be healed. But, but I think this is uh, primarily dealing with unconfessed sin and uh, based on James five. And, uh, and I think that this can sometimes be abused and, you know, my, my wife has uh, experienced this before where she, uh, my wife has an autoimmune uh, disease and it's called Sjogren's syndrome. And man, she has repented of everything under the sun. I mean, she is so faithful. She loves the Lord so much. She is so humble and one of the most generous people that I know and pure hearted and on and on and on. Uh, 
And she has done her best. She, she has asked the Lord to search her heart. Lord, is there anything in me that has brought on this autoimmune? And, you know, other people have come up and like, well, maybe it's this sin and maybe it's that sin. And that's honestly, it's just not helpful for people to like guess which sin might have caused your disease. Right. Like um, she and, and so I think we have to be very careful when praying for healing. Uh, Michael, let me just ask that's- you. Uh, the one typing. Um, let me just ask I'm not you, right how, now. How, do you <laughs> how do you navigate that, Michael? How do you navigate? Like, you don't want to be like just sitting here calling people out. As, you don't want to be heaping sure. abuse upon people. So, I, so how I've do you deal with that? that? Two things when it comes to well, one, I, this is why I said there's a variety of reasons a person may be sick, a variety that we haven't even talked about. Like we have not given an exhaustive list for the causation for these things. And it's not always some sin we committed. Sometimes a person's demonized for no reason at all, other than there's an evil spirit who's done evil to a person. Um, but, but also um, we're not, we're not our own saviors trying to go through the litany of our own sins is in some sense, us trying to set ourselves free from that. And that's actually not our job. Um, I mean, that's the job of the spirit to convict us of all sin and unrighteousness. And so um, if you're praying for somebody and, you know, you know, you've, you've gone with everything that you know to ask as far as like, here's what I feel like God showed me. Is this true? Um, and then you kind of leave it at there and say, well, you know, God hasn't shown me anything else. Is there anything that comes to your mind when you ask God, why am I sick? And so that, that the other thing is in this model we're not just listening to the person we're talking to. We're also sitting and waiting on the Lord, which is a practice throughout the scriptures of just waiting on him to get answers and get direction and get wisdom. Um, and some examples of the, the other thing I was going to say about sin in particular, some people, when it comes to unconfessed sin, they don't even realize that there's a sin that they committed that was unconfessed. Um, and the example that Josh gave earlier um, about praying for somebody who was um, uh, plagued with night terrors, well, that was actually a real story that happened at the Convergence Conference about four years ago in 2017. I was praying for a young woman. Um, she said she had night terrors, that she's had them every night since she was like 13 years old. Well, actually, she couldn't even remember. She just thought she'd always had them is what she said. Um, and and so I'm you know doing everything I can to get information from her by asking these questions, but also recognizing that she may not know the answer to why she's sick, but God does. And so I, I just prayed silently. I said, listen, I just want to wait on the Lord and ask him what's going on here. And so when we're doing the diagnosis, there's two sources that we're listening to, this person and God. Um, while I was praying, though, I had a little picture pop in my head of her playing with a Ouija board with some other girls when she was probably 12 years old. And so I said, um, when you're around 12 years old, were you and some girlfriends playing with a Ouija board? And she just started crying. And the words that were coming out of her mouth were, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I didn't know. And it was like she knew suddenly that this is what what brought this problem into her life. Um, and I said, of course she didn't know. I said, you know, the Ouija board is an occult practice, but it's put in the game section at a target. Like it's literally marketed to kids. But it's actually forbidden. It's an occult practice, a way of uh, communicating with the dead, a way of uh, divination, um, which are both forbidden practices in the scripture. So I walked her through a prayer of repentance. This is where the public confession and a turning away from from that sin from her past. 
And then I commanded anything evil that came in to leave. And it was just a simple prayer of repentance and a command. And then um, two years later, I run into the same girl. She has been free from night terrors ever since. And just to be clear, yeah. she had them every single night. Like she would wake up her whole family screaming in terror. So this mm-hmm. was not uh, for it to go away for that amount of time was was a sincere freedom and healing. So, well, you know, one thing I really enjoyed about the uh, way you talked with her and the, and the way you communicated that to us was even as you're talking about a sin that she committed, you did it with compassion. And so you weren't a private investigator trying to point out somebody's flaws. You were kindly asking, did this happen? And then your empathy afterward, well, of course you didn't know. You were 12 years old and you know they sell this in Target at the game section. When you come with the right heart, that's the attitude and people feel it. But if you're coming like the private investigator just to try to figure out what, what roadblocks getting in the way of the power of God, like this is about love. All the spiritual gifts. I mean, my definition for spiritual gifts is this is empowered love. And uh, Michael, I think that was a great example uh, for you. And I, and I think you also unpacked another one of the things that we're listening for in this, uh, or we're, we're paying attention for in this diagnosis step, and that is demonization. Demonization and infirmity, these are connected. In Luke chapter 13, uh, a woman has a, a spirit of, Michael, help me out, or Josh, a spirit of disability, I think is, depends infirmity. on your version. Spirit of infirmity. Yeah. Yeah. And her back is bent over double by Satan. Okay. So uh, it, sometimes you'll have a deaf spirit, you'll have a mute spirit. And, uh, and, uh, let's see, I have Mark 925 written here, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And so oftentimes when it comes to healing, uh, there's a spiritual cause. In fact, Michael, this actually reminds me of a time that you and I were ministering together. Do you remember? Uh, you remember the girl with Tourette's? I know oh, you yeah. do. Because yeah, yeah, that was in followed uh, up with Chambers, her for Pennsylvania. Like, yeah, you followed up with her for a long time afterward. Um, so this yeah, one was she, fascinating. Okay, go ahead. Th- this was, yeah, this was frustrating actually because um, I don't think she stayed free. Uh, there was a number of things going on there. So when we we got out there, we were ministering with the youth group of this church in uh, Pennsylvania, and. When I walked in, I, I felt like the Lord had told me there was somebody that was dealing with uh, a spirit of fear and that it would manifest through night terrors and uh, anxiety and pain in her chest. And so um, I didn't know who it was. And so I, I got up, you know, I think, uh, Michael, I think you even taught uh, at that meeting. And then at the end, I got up and I said, hey, I, I felt like God was showing me that there's somebody who's been dealing with night terrors and anxiety. I didn't say spirit of fear. Because if you come in and say, hey, somebody has a spirit of fear, you know, that's not exactly protecting them. Uh, A lot of people will feel shame because of that, although there's nothing to feel ashamed of. It's a demonic spirit that's attacking you. You're not like inviting it to come and dwell with you. Um, But all the same, I said, yeah, you've been dealing with this. I said, who is this? Um, Because I didn't I didn't have clarity on who it was in the room and nobody stood up, uh, which makes sense. Right. Because if you've got a spirit of fear, the last thing you want to do, yeah, they're afraid to stand up and be singled out. I said, listen, I know that you're probably afraid to stand up, but I really do feel like God wants to set you free today. And and that's something I always try to do is point to the freedom you'll experience uh, rather than the the thing that's holding them back, right? 
Um, and this mm-hmm. is true with, with believers and unbelievers. You know, if you're asking to pray for somebody who's not a believer, they're like, well, I don't want you praying for me. I don't believe in all that stuff. And I always go, yeah, but wouldn't you like the pain to go away? Because oftentimes they think you're the problem. You're not the problem. The problem is the pain. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm encouraging this person to stand up because I, I feel very confident that God wants to do something. And so, this girl stands up. She's probably 13 years old. Um, you know, looks like uh, Shirley Temple. And uh, I, I then privately pray with her and I command a spirit of fear to leave. And when I do, she begins to tremble and then she falls back into her chair. Uh, and she, I didn't know this until afterwards, but she had suffered with Tourette syndrome that was so bad that she had actually been kicked out of her school like two weeks prior because she was so disruptive and saying all kinds of obscene things in the classroom. Um, I mean, it was a really unfortunate situation, um, but that's how the spirit was manifesting itself. And some of the symptoms it was causing was her to cuss profusely. Um, so I think, um, there's some time goes by and she's free from this, which had never happened. Um, but when she goes home and tells her parents, her dad says, sweetie, I don't think that that really happened. I don't think that you're really free from Tourette's. Um, and from what I understand, the issue actually came back later on. Um, and I don't think she was permanently set free. And I didn't really get a chance to interact with her anymore after that. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that happened. I do know that she saw a two-week period where she wasn't cussing uncontrollably, which should well, you know, prove something. The, the, but. the story, the story I remember, Michael, was that she was like driving back home with her dad, and she was like, "Hey." I just noticed I haven't said a profane, I haven't said like a profane word like all evening. And he's like, Whoa, that's crazy. And it continued for some time after that. And her family was like marveling at it. Don't you remember that? Yeah. Well, I, I just noticed. Or is that the back. way you, is that the way you remember it? Yeah. It no, came back, no. which, which, yeah, it came back. Was it after two weeks? Yeah. It was like two. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, again, this was, I don't know. This is over 10 years ago, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it came back within a couple of weeks, but still for two weeks to be free yeah. from that is a pretty astounding amount of time considering this was a daily thing. So, and some yeah, people yeah, would, sure. so there are two different things that we're talking about right now. Like one would be um, like maintaining a healing and the other one would be demonic activity. We actually have biblical precedent that um, that a person can ha- be demonized and that demon can actually be exercised um, and that demon come back with seven more evil, right? We actually have biblical evidence to say, hey, if, you, if you're not filling that vessel with the strong man being the spirit, then you, you can have more demonic activity that's present. And also uh, we have passages that talk about not giving foothold to the devil in the scriptures. So so we have this, this pattern of sin or disbelief or whatever, giving access to demonic activity. Um, and that if those things aren't dealt with, that demonic activity can come back. So in this young girl's situation, it seems as if she had uh, demonic activity that was causing a sickness or bringing with it some kind of uh, uh, sickness such as Tourette's and that once that was dealt with, that that activity came back. Um, so, so specifically in the case of demonic activity, I think we can all see how that's possible. Uh, how, what do you guys, and maybe this is the fifth step here, um, well, how do y'all process through people keeping their healing of someone who was sick 
and they actually physically experienced freedom, but then begin to doubt or disbelieve their healing. And then it went mm-hmm. away. Um, is that, yeah. is that going to yeah. be addressed in this is, process? Yeah. I, well, I think this story is actually instructive on that. And I, I think this is important too, because a lot of people will say, well, like, you know, Jesus never had to coach anyone to keep it they're healing, but uh, he actually says, go and sin no more, lest nothing worse happen to you. And uh, and then we have the story in Matthew 12, where uh, he, it, you just mentioned, uh, where the spirit leaves and then brings back seven of its more wicked spirit friends, which is just an interesting side note. There are spirits with degrees of wickedness, um, but uh, neither here nor there. My point is that there is such a thing as keeping a healing and that involves walking in holiness because if we return to the sin that we uh, were in before and uh, then we might have that infirmity return and so uh, really the coaching to keep your healing it's it's not about like I, I, I can see why that gets uh, sort of a hard time because I, I've heard of some people the way they do this is they're like you know you just got to keep telling yourself and keep it it's almost like this personal pep talk conjuring. you're giving it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds more like conjuring. It sounds more contrived. And um, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about live a holy life. We're talking help. about. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, help me out with the story. Cause like I'm with you guys. When I hear people talk about keeping their healing, I hear that your psychological certainty is what manifests and maintains your, your healing, which makes the healing entirely about your power and your ability and not in the power of Christ. Right. So I I also agree with you. I want to get it off of me and what I have to do and place my faith and expectation in Christ. Right. So that's what I want to do with healing. But I have this experience. I was very young. I had to have been nine years old, um, maybe even younger. And, um, I'm in that church um, I walk in after uh, a kid's church. I'm walking into the sanctuary. It's an evening service. Um, uh, it, it, it was an Assemblies of God church, but we were a pretty organized Assemblies of God church. I never remembered in my entire time there um, people slain in the spirit or anything like that. But but people were really weeping and 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 being ministered to and like like it was tangible. And at nine, I could walk in and go like something's going on, you know. I'd never noticed it before. And uh, my mom's up front and and she's crying and and I'm like, what's going on? And apparently someone had gotten healed and it was just really it was a moving, touching thing. And I had this really bad headache. And I told my mom, I was like, hey, I've got a horrible headache. Uh, do you have Tylenol or, you know, something? And um, she goes, uh, well, let's have Miss Gina pray for you. And I go up front and there is an older lady there at the church, Miss Gina Stewart. And she lays hands on me and she prays. It was a short prayer. But I'm telling you, I felt that thing leave instantly. And I was just like blown away. It's the first time I'd ever experienced a healing myself. And then I'm sitting in the car waiting for my mom because it's an evening service and, you know, um, she likes to talk, right? So I'm stuck in the car, I'm waiting on her. And, and as I'm sitting in the front seat, I'm like waiting, going, okay, well, I wonder if that really happened. And I actually started questioning, like, I wonder if that was real. And then suddenly I was nailed with a headache. I mean, I had for 20 minutes not had a headache, you know, and I'm now sitting in the mm-hmm. car questioning whether that was God or whether that was even real. Was I, was I just convincing myself that was something and then was nailed with a headache? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to doubt, you know, and then and then my mom gets in the car and she's like, wasn't that great? You got healed. And I was just like, but I have a headache now. Like, what happened? Um, that that experience has always 
been a bit of a prick in my in my theological categories and i don't want my experience to drive my theology but what how would you guys make sense of that so yeah i think you you just returned to a life of sin is really what happened is what i would say i mean it sounds right yeah all right miller why don't you go I think this is the, so when I look back on the experience with the girl with Tourette's, I think on some level, I also failed her. There was a lot that I, I don't know if I ever got to the root issue for why she was demonized. Um, I, I don't know. There could have been other things going on that we just didn't address. And so uh, I'm not prone to thinking that your uh, psychological certainty equates to faith. I, I'm just not. I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I I don't go that direction hard, uh, really ever. I think the um, the fact that somebody may get healed of something and then that thing sort of comes back, or at least they feel healed, uh, may very well be because it's demonic and maybe there was something that wasn't dealt with. But again, I don't think we've covered in totality all the reasons for why those things are there. Uh, we just mentioned that there's something else playing a part in it. And uh with your particular experience, Josh, I don't know if it had anything to do with doubting. I imagine doubting is rather normal. You know, Jesus with the man who was doubting still healed the man. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, it's not like he didn't want that to be true. Um, and, and I think God honors that. So I, I'm really careful to say, well, that had anything to do with your expectation of a particular outcome. Um, again, I always think it you know, faith looks like trust in a person and a hope in a person. And because of that, you can expect certain outcomes. Um, but again, there's a number of reasons for why people are sick. And if we don't deal with the reason for why they're sick, then they're not really getting free. Um, I yeah. mean, you think of the guy who had leprosy. Jesus could have just said the words, but he didn't. He touched the man, which implies yeah. that there was more that Jesus was healing than his leprosy. So... Yeah, uh, I like this uh, this comment. Uh, okay, so this is from Postscript Chiara. Yeah, I see that. Chiara, I feel like the headache story has happened to every youth group child and word of faith pastors use it to teach that we have a lack of faith, so we have lost our healing. It happened to me. Um, as far as the word of faith, you know, Josh and I, we've been talking about, we want to do an episode or series of episodes about the word of faith. Um, so I'm going to put that on one side because we're going to do a whole episode on that at least. But um, but what I want to, to do is just address that theology, which is in some of the word of faith and it's also in some uh, some other circles. And, uh, and this is really what we're trying to protect against. This is, uh, this can be dangerous. I think this idea that I have to like convince myself to play mental gymnastics to like squint out a miracle or something like that. I just don't think so. I, I just think we could be more natural in our friendship with God. Like, you know what I would encourage somebody? It's like, if your headache comes back or whatever it is, just talk to God about it. Like, Oh God, uh, I thought I was just healed of that. And now I don't feel, or now I'm feeling the pain again. Will you please take this away? I think it can be an invitation into a spiritual battle and, and going back to God about it. But I don't think it is an invitation into a battle of trying to convince yourself you don't actually feel pain or my healing just has not manifested fully or something like that. I think that's just silly talk. This is not about brainwashing yourself. This is about uh, just bring it back to God and pray for your healing again. So that's how I would understand it. Okay, so we've got to. We should probably cover is the next step, the prayer selection, like what yeah. to pray, how to well, pray. I, 
Okay, so guys, here's what I'm thinking. We're 45 minutes in. There's part of me that wonders if we should cover the last three next week. Um, what do you think, Josh? I mean, I, I think that we're probably in a place to cover the next one uh, within 15 okay. minutes, and we can kind of see where it goes from there. Sure. The last step yeah. doesn't take yeah, you're know, right, too you're long right. to okay. explain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Miller, talk to us about step three prayer. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Prayer or is it prayer selection? Prayer selection. I, I've prayer got selection. my notes. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, um, John Wimber used to explain it this way, that there's two different kinds of prayers. There's the prayers that, uh, go up to God and those prayers look like, God, will you do X, Y, and Z? And then there's a prayer that comes from God, which is you acting as, you know, Christ's ambassador, uh, making a declaration. So like when Jesus is dealing with a demon, he's not asking God to take it away. He's actually telling the demon to leave. Uh, same thing is true with the disciples. They're not asking God to take away the demon. They're commanding the demon to go. Um, and, and the same thing is true with, with Peter. Like when he, when he meets the guy at the temple gate, um, who's paralyzed, he doesn't stop and say, Oh God, would you heal this man? He literally just tells the man what to do. Uh, so that would be a prayer from God. And then there's other prayers that that are less about the person uh, who's ministering and more about the person being ministered to. Like we talked about earlier, the, the girl that I mentioned who had played with the Ouija board, I walked her through a prayer of repentance. So, so the prayer that was chosen there was a prayer that she would pray, um, uh, just confessing to God, a turning away from a particular practice. And so... Um, and then sometimes there's other things that are needed, like walking somebody through a prayer of forgiveness. Um, I, I saw this happen with a, I was praying for a woman who had a lump in her side. I was in India. Um, I'm pretty sure it was cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but as I was praying for her, one of the things I felt like God showed me was that she had a sister that she hadn't forgiven. And I said, hey, I, I don't know if this is true, but um, do you have a sister that, that you've been holding a grudge against that you need to forgive? And she you know, kind of sinks her head and says, yes, I do. And so I was like, well, um, would you be open to, to praying a prayer of forgiveness and even seeking God's forgiveness for holding this grudge against her? And she's like, absolutely. And so then we prayed for her. And as far as I know, the lump left. So, um, yeah, those three kinds of prayers I think I've mentioned so far. Maybe there's so, more that I'm not thinking of. So, Miller, do you just try to be in tune with the Holy Spirit as to how to pray or do you... Uh, do you command an infirmity to leave every time or do you sometimes just at like, how do you distinguish between all of those prayers? That's a good question. Um, well, I think certain issues have pretty, uh, obvious prayers. Like, you know, you committed a sin, you've never confessed it. Obviously that's a confessional prayer, um, that, that makes sense. It sort of goes with that territory. Um, whereas when I'm dealing with a sickness, I tend to has have as a default a commanding a sickness to leave if I have no other reason for causation. Um, although I don't mind praying to God either. So, yeah, in that moment, I'm usually asking God, how do I pray? So uh, this is where I was saying, like, even in the diagnosis process, right, we're, we're asking that person questions, we're interviewing them, but then we're also sort of interviewing God. And then when it comes to the prayer selection, well, I'm going with what I know from the scriptures, but I'm also asking God how to pray. Um, so it's always sort of a partnering with the Holy Spirit throughout the whole process. 
Well, and if it's a prayer for forgiveness or if it's a prayer for repentance, uh, there's obviously a situational dynamic to that. And here's just one thing I have found to be really awesome about healing ministry and that I think is something that a, a cessationist honestly would uh, or, or just anyone who doesn't pray for the sick often. Okay would miss out on. Uh, I have found that as a pastor, it really brings my church to a place of greater holiness because what happens is they might come forward because they've got back pain or they got headaches or they got night terrors or whatever it is. And if by the end of that prayer, they're forgiving their father, or by the end of that prayer, they're repenting for a porn addiction or whatever it might be. And they're turning back to God. What happens is I didn't just get to be, you know, partner with the Holy Spirit to bring a physical healing. But more importantly, I've been able to partner with the Holy Spirit and that person's journey of sanctification from sin. And as shepherds, isn't that what we're trying to do? And so I find that uh, that a lot of times the and we talked about this in step two with the diagnosis that that healing ministry, I just think it's so much more holistic that we tend to realize because uh, yes, there are times you just lay your hands, you pray they're healed or you just pronounce the word even and they're healed. And Miller, I know that you've seen a lot of people healed over the phone, all that stuff can happen. But, uh, but man, I find that whether uh, like in prayer selection that I'm able to walk that person through a sanctification journey, I find it to be a beautiful thing. I, I think something else is that this stuff is multifaceted. So uh, first, it's a person that is infirmed uh, because of sin. Um, sometimes the sin that they're in, they also hate and they don't want the sin. So it's not like they're entirely unrepentant about it. It's it's more like they're uh, um, the sin that they're in, they've never really gotten to the root as to why that sin has been committed. Um, I, I see this to be very true with people who have sex addiction, people who have uh, pornographic addiction. There's there's usually a wounding and inner healing that's needed that has and those sins are actually just symptoms of a deeper issue. Um, so I, I don't know. It is more multifaceted than just a quick, easy like here, pray this prayer and you'll be free. Um, so that that's another reason why people are sick is there's emotional wounds from their past that have caused them to act out and sinful patterns. So, yeah. Okay. Did I just make um, this more complicated. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. So I want to talk about the, uh, like if the prayer selection comes down to, it was a supernatural cause. It was demonization. We could obviously do an entire show on this and I'm sure that we will. And we probably have at some point, but um, how do you cast out a demon, Josh? You say, Go away. Uh, Josh doesn't believe people can be demonized, so he doesn't. It's not true. (laughs) I just mess with you. (laughs) Uh, No. uh, Well, Josh, why don't you you start with this? Why don't you even, before we even get to that, um, why are we using the word demonized instead of demon possessed? So we we like to use the word possessed and oppressed in Christian circles, but the word in the Bible used for uh, uh, demonization is the word demonized or demonazo. It just means that they have some level of demonic influence in a person's life. Um, Demons are non-spatial. They're non-corporeal, so they don't don't exist in space. And because of that, the idea of oppression and possession are um, just foreign to scripture. Um, we like to use the terms oppression and possession because uh, the idea of possession in the Western context is meat puppet. 
um, that if uh, you've watched any kind of horror films, you have a demon because, you know, you can levitate and your head can spin around and you can projectile vomit pea soup um, because you have a demon in you that's controlling you like a meat puppet. Is that funny, Michael? Uh, <laughs> so That's not so, the way I would have described it. <laughs> so that, that's typically in the West when we think of possession. That's what we think of. And then we have a group of Christians who go, really, like, can a Christian... Um, who is a uh, a believer in Christ be a meat puppet for the devil? Can someone, can a demonic spirit control them to murder? You know, can a demon control them to to act out in sin? And well, the Bible talks about the the gift of the spirit and the the fruit of the spirit is self control, right? So they go, well, you can't have a, a demon possession because they're they're again they have this this very Western context, and I, I keep using the word meat puppet because I think it's the the best articulation <laughs> of that. Um, uh, but but realistically, the way that the scriptures talk is is more about demonization. Uh, any kind of oppression or possession would all be in the same category of scripture. So when the Bible says that Paul had a thorn in his flesh sent to buffet him, um, it seems as if this was a demonic activity um, that was involved in Paul's life. That would have been oppression. Um, uh, this child of Abraham who was bent over with a spirit of infirmity, um, that would have been oppression. The, the, the demoniac who is cutting himself with rocks and crying out in uh, 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 a graveyard and he's butt naked out of his mind oppression now all of those are the exact I mean, same there's category there are multiple kinds of butt naked there's out of yes. your mind but that's right and there's just butt naked and <laughs> right. it might just yes. be the geographical like location like if you're butt naked in a cemetery you're out of your mind kind of <laughs> yeah i mean if you're right? if you're streaking during the super bowl digressed versus <laughs> being <laughs> being in a graveyard naked if you're in a graveyard naked you've got another level of demon we're not supposed to do that. Well, you know what actually cracks me up? <laughs> We're not supposed to do that. Man, I've got the song wrong. Step one of grave soaking. Step one of grave soaking. Side note. Okay. You, know, you know what cracks me up about that story is that they were afraid after he was clothed in his right mind. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Afraid. I'm like, aren't you afraid of naked dude in the cemetery with a knife? <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid of that guy. <laughs> There's this guy. Well, you know what, what people no. overlook there is the fact that Jesus had to tell the demon to leave more than once. That's right. He had said he he then asked the demon a question after he it says that he had been commanding him to come out of him, commanding it to come out of him. Is that not weird? Anybody else out? <laughs> no, I mean it's it's wacky. I think that that even is an example of. Um, the investigation thing that we're talking about, it seemed as if Jesus, and this is my perception, this is me reading in between the lines and trying to create a cohesive interpretation of scripture. He had been saying, you know, to come out of him. And then he asks, what's your name? Um, he begins that investigation process, which would be my kind of go-to model when people say, hey, how do you cast a demon out? You say, go in the name of Jesus, be gone. And that fixes lots of it. But sometimes it doesn't. And then there's an investigation process that takes place where you ask um, in this specific situation, Christ finds out that, that he's legion. There's many in there. My understanding of that is when he tells a demon to go, one demon left. It's not like this demon was like resisting Jesus. It seems as if 
maybe he was investigating what's going on. We know that he cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. How do we know it was seven? Um, there was probably some kind of investigation process that looked like this. Cast out a demon, that one leaves, but he's still demonized. Well, what's going on here? And he asks and turns out there's a legion. There's thousands of demons present here, um, which is an entirely different situation of demonization. Um, but to say that, hey, there is demonic activity in our life. It ought not be there. Um, Christ doesn't want it there. That's that's the first thing is to know that this doesn't yeah. belong. Um, and we have authority to tell this thing to go. Um, but if and when it does not go, there is a process. Um, I believe that demonic activity has access to our life because of sin. Um, uh, we could have had something happen to us or something we could have done, uh, that has invited demonic activity in and you can as easily tell that thing to go. Um, but if there is still a stronghold, then to, to speak to the person that is being oppressed and lead them through a prayer of repentance, find out how that demonic activity got access to their life. Um, th- that would be the process that I would, I would lead people down. Uh, but in that whole time, you know, just like Michael and Michael is saying here, this is not a a program. This is not a list and a process of like, do these 16 steps. Like you've got to be dependent on the spirit um, um, and having confidence in the power of Christ to set at liberty those who are captive. Amen. My thoughts, hey, Josh, because uh, my, uh, my five steps, I use slightly different wording than you. Why don't you just read off one more time what the five steps are? Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, I got to pull my camera back over here. Uh, five steps that we have is the interview, the, the diagnosis. We have prayer selection. Uh, we've got prayer engagement. And then we have post-prayer direction. Those are the Post-prayer direction. I call yeah, it so uh, post- lather, rinse, repeat. Ah, very nice. <laughs> last one. Okay. It's <laughs> so do, do you really call it that <laughs> I, I i know what i teach it i jokingly say that just because it, it lets people know like sometimes. i mean i like had to ask because i know you so that seems like something yeah, you I might know. do i i jokingly say that i don't mean that sincerely but but i know that <laughs> uh, oftentimes you know we pray for people they may see some relief but not complete and so then we have to go back into the first process of interviewing and asking more questions of them asking more questions of god is there something else here is there more than mm-hmm. one demon those kind of things yeah okay uh yeah, and then go and sin no more. I think I mentioned that one. That's I think John five fourteen, and then uh, here here's maybe like a last question for us to uh, to handle. So let's let's say they don't get healed. What do we say with regard to anything medical? Like, should we say, okay, this didn't work? Go see a doctor now. Do we say uh, keep on praying and you know trying to have more? Fa- I mean, what do you guys say? If they're not healed, uh, I guess you, you kind of touched the camera on it, went Michael, to me, huh? <laughs> well, uh, I like how the camera comes to me, Michael. You must experience this a lot. So tell us what happens when people aren't healed. <laughs> um, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you just got that. Huh? <laughs> it took you a sec. Mm. So, uh, you know the the thing is, I will often pray more than once. And if I see nothing happen, I may say, hey, let's, let's come back in a week. Um, you know, my church, I have the luxury of doing that with people. If I, if I don't see them again, I recommend that they go to their church elders and get prayer in a week. Um, because sometimes I just need time to sit before the Lord. 
you know, there's that passage uh, of, you know, this kind comes out through prayer and fasting. And so sometimes I'll pray and I'll fast and just begin to ask and seek God on, Hey, is there something I'm missing that I didn't catch out or pick up on before? Um, so yeah, I, I, whatever, one thing I don't do is tell them it's their fault that they weren't healed. Um, unless they're literally unrepentant of sin, which I have done on a couple of occasions, which sounds harsh, but it's actually the best thing for them is to tell them, listen, if, if you don't repent from this, if you don't walk away from this practice, this is going to stay there and it may get worse. Um, sorry, I, that sounds bad. But do you, that's, do you say that in like a, like a low threatening voice? Like on those movie trailers? <laughs> it may get worse. <laughs> no, in a I mean, world have, where repentance <laughs> causes sickness. <laughs> you guys are awful. Um, you know, I, I did have somebody who was, who was helping people contact their dead relatives. Uh, to get reconciliation. She was practicing clairvoyancy, uh, necromancy. Um, and I told her, you know, the reason you have your vision issues and the pain in your head is and neck pain is because of this. And um, she even had an evil spirit manifest when we were praying for her. Um, but she, that's how she was making her living. So she didn't want to repent. She would rather continue practicing what she's practicing um, than be free from evil spirits. So... Yeah, there, there's so many different things that we would encourage people to do. Like if, if you didn't receive your healing, um, we look at the the account of, again, Paul's thorn in the flesh. He went three times before the Lord. Um, he petitioned the Lord and it looked like that was something that he was okay with doing. I'm not healed. I'm going to go and pray again. So just because you weren't healed today doesn't mean you won't be healed tomorrow. Um, when Christians look at sin in their life, they don't treat sin any differently. Um, they don't go, oh, well, this week I just... I was just had all these outbursts of anger. I probably won't do any better next week. Um, you know, they, they actually keep contending. They keep confessing. They keep praying. Um, they keep studying yeah. their scriptures. And that's what we would encourage people to do. Pray and fast and go into your Bible and underline every time in the, in the gospels that Jesus healed people. And why does he heal people? And what's the motivation of Jesus? And you, you task someone with homework and to say, read your Bible, learn what God's heart is on this subject. Um, and yeah, that, that's yeah. okay. And I, think I, and I think I would add on this last step also that when it comes to medical solutions, none of us on Ribbit Radio are opposed to medical solutions. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, take a little wine for your stomach's sake uh, and for your frequent illnesses. And so, uh, and so it's okay to, at the same time that you're praying for healing, if it doesn't happen, you, uh, you have people, you advise that somebody, you know what, take some Tylenol or whatever it is, you know? Um, so I, I think that the both can be married together. I do advise that people go to God first that like, cause I, I think that we're so trained in sort of Western medicine that it's like, Oh, I'm sick. Very first thing that I do is call the doctor. Like what if very first thing we do is we talk to God. And what if the second thing we did is we got a few people who love God to pray for us. And then what if step three was called the doctor? I mean, I'm assuming that like, this wasn't like your hand was chopped off in like a lumberjack accident. Um, that was a shout out to all the people who are calling me a lumberjack today. But uh, if your hand gets chopped off in a lumberjack accident, go to the doctor and pray on the way. That's my advice. <laughs> 
What's such a specific situation? There's probably like some guy who like you're like you're being led by the spirit and you don't even know it, Michael. There's a guy who's listening to Remnant Radio driving his car. What do I do? Father, no! He's got one hand, he's watching Remnant Radio on his phone, and the other hand is Okay. Yeah. It's time to end it. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. <laughs> what are we talking about next week? Uh, uh, Roundtree, are you with us next week? Oh, man, I am starting my writing sabbatical next week. So I'm going to be out for five weeks until March 21st. So I think um, I might pop in for an occasional episode, but I'm pretty much going to be out to the 21st. So I think what we're going to do is if it's OK with Miller, we'll probably end up doing tongues. Uh, and do the cessationist arguments on tongues, bad cessationist arguments on tongues. Uh, then we'll follow up on two other weeks. Because <laughs> all tongues. cessationist arguments are bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, 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 just like we did for this series, where we do we did the 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 bad um, cessationist arguments. Then we do the way that this is supposed to be practiced in the Testament Church, and then the way that there's been charismatic abuses. We'll probably do three sections of episodes like that for tongues and talking about hey. Uh, this is the cessationist articulation of tongues. This is why we disagree with that. Um, this is what we believe it is to be practiced, and this is where it's gone too far. So really just trying to call balls and strikes with everything. Uh, I think me and Miller can can keep up with the tongues thing for a couple weeks. If there's some dead space, just speak in tongues. There you go. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. <laughs> won't, won't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, guys, so we've got a video I just filmed on Patreon. If, you, if you're not giving on Patreon, please do. It's a way to help us keep the show alive. Uh, you can give there on PayPal in the link of the description of this video. Uh, there's a PayPal link and give one time gift or you can give there on Patreon those five bucks a month. I just got done filming a video on apostles and prophets in fivefold ministry uh, talking about what I think the, the roles of apostles and prophets are and how I believe the fivefold ministry are graces on uh, individuals lives and the, the fivefold ministry is not a, a character description or a quality of someone's uh, passions and personality but this is a grace on someone's life to be effective and fruitful in ministry. So um, I uh, if you're interested in that, you can go check that out on Patreon. It will release probably by tomorrow. Uh, and then right after this video, me and Roundtree are going to be filming a video on election. Uh, that election uh, being, well, actually, you'll have to click on that video to figure out what that's about. Um, our view of election, is it corporate, is it individual, that kind of thing, and uh, get some of our thoughts on that. So uh, those are ways that you can keep helping the ministry. It's as low as five bucks a month. Uh, if you're out there and you're like, hey, I can't afford five bucks a month, shoot me an email at media at the remnant radio dot com and we can figure something out for you um, but we figured five dollars is a pretty low threshold uh, that anyone can give at that amount uh, to help support the channel so uh, we've got really great shows coming up next week i got an episode on baptism infant baptism uh, uh, age of accountability uh, a lot of the questions surrounding children and youth uh, then we've got a video on getting ghosty with augustine that we're going to do with matthew esquivel 
Uh, Dr. Amos Young from Fuller Theological Seminary is going to be with us. He's a Pentecostal theologian. Uh, then we have the To Be Continued series on the gifts. So make sure that you hit subscribe and set notifications on those videos so that when we go live, you're notified and you can jump into that discussion. Uh, I want to thank everyone for coming into the chat today. Uh, thank you, uh, Michael Miller and Roundtree for joining us for the conversation. Uh, I look forward to see you guys next week. We'll catch you later. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.